If you're a Christian, and even if you're not, there's a good chance you've heard people talk about the new TV series about Jesus called The Chosen. The Chosen is the first ever multi-season series television show about Jesus Christ. It's the number one highest crowdfunded project of all time at $10 million from over 19,000 people, and it's already been translated into 50 languages and counting. Today, I get to sit down with the director of The Chosen, Dallas Jenkins, and ask him all about the inspiration, the -the behind-the-scenes magic, and the miracles that have taken place while filming, producing, and directing this show that has swept the world with a new passion for learning about the character of Christ. So many people like me have become super fans of this project because it's given me an entirely new perspective on what Jesus must really be like as a person and has ignited even more of a desire to know and understand his life as recorded in scripture. And I cannot wait for you to hear even more of the backstory of this incredible project called The Chosen. All right, today I have Dallas Jenkins, who is the director and creator of The Chosen. It is my very favorite series to binge. I have now watched it, and so I started watching it right before my youngest baby, Harry, was born. We have four kids, and he was born just shy of four months ago, and I've now watched every episode at least twice, some of them three times, and then episodes three and four, which are my kids' favorites, probably like six or seven times, because they just want to watch those over and over, so... We are huge fans of The Chosen here. I know so many people in our audience are also fans of The Chosen, so I'm thrilled to be able to talk about that today. And um, Delos, will you just give me a brief intro of who you are and what The Chosen's all about, please? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I appreciate it, and I, I uh, appreciate what you do in this podcast. I've checked it out a few times. And so, uh, yeah, I'm Dallas. I'm, I created The Chosen um, the, the very long story short is that um, it was it kind of got launched b- based on a short film that I did for my church's Christmas Eve service um, about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds. And why I was doing that is a whole other long story, and I can talk about it if you want at some point. But the point is, uh, this short film that was about the birth of Christ was shot on my friend's farm here in Illinois, about 20 minutes from where I'm talking to you now. And uh, it ended up, in my mind, showing me this opportunity to explore the stories of Christ, Mm -hmm. but from a different perspective. So, you know, I've been a believer as long as I can remember. I've heard the stories of Christ and the stories of the Gospels hundreds of times. Um, But when I did this 18-minute short film about the birth of Christ, but from the perspective of the shepherds, and we got to explore what their day was like, and we used historical context and biblical context to look and what their day may have been like in the morning and what they were doing, why they were offering lambs, why they were sheep herders, um, and uh, that the lamb was a sacrifice that they were preparing. And all of these little facts and figures that aren't explicitly spelled out in scripture, but that add beautiful, beautiful context to the story. And by personalizing it and doing it through the eyes of the shepherd, it caused so many people to respond even more strongly than normal. And while I was doing it, I had this idea for a show I thought there's been movies, there's been miniseries, but there's never actually been a multi-season show about the life of Christ where you can really dig into the stories, dig into the characters in a way that you can't do when you're kind of going from miracle to miracle, Bible verse to Bible verse, and rushing through a 90-minute movie or a miniseries. So that was the the idea for the show. And but I didn't, you know, I was coming off of a career failure. I I was I I didn't know where I was going to be in the in, in the future. And Vid Angel heard about the idea for the show, 
um, loved it and thought we, we should raise the money through crowdfunding, which I thought was a ridiculous idea and would never work. <laughs> but very long story short, here we are as I talk to you today. Season one of The Chosen is now out. Um, in the last six months especially, it has taken off into a whole new arena. It's uh, in every country in the world, translated in well over 50 languages now and growing. And uh, just based on this little short film that I did a couple years ago for my church, um, it has become, it's, it's taken on a life of its own. And people have seem to be having the kind of response that you're having. And when you told me about your kids, mm-hmm. um, that's something I didn't expect. I didn't think that kids would love the show because it's, it's, it's got, you know, it's like Complex. got complicated plots. Yes. I mean, it's not yeah. just like, you know, and then Jesus went here and then he did, and then he went here and, and it's not like a flanograph in church where you're, you know, where you're just seeing the smiley Jesus in a, in a blue outfit and he's talking to everybody. Mm-hmm. This is uh, we, we actually, it's a real show. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, and I think it's because, when you go to the authentic Jesus, it breaks down barriers, but people of all ages, people of all cultures, people with special needs, um, you know, people of all, all over the spectrum have really resonated with the show. So it's been really cool to see what God's been doing. Yeah, it's, it truly is incredible to me and it's become so personal for me, but I want to know how you tapped into Jesus being such a real person in these episodes, because it's fascinating to me to see him. I just feel like it's completely changed the way that I think about Jesus in my life. And as I study my scriptures, he's so much more real to me because I've watched this show. So what kind of study did you do? What did you do to prepare yourself to be in that mindset to be able to put pen to paper. I don't know how that looks on, on a video, but how did you bring him to life like that? Well, honestly, I have been for as long as I can remember someone intrigued by the, the, the areas in between the verses Mm -hmm. of scripture. So even when I was a little kid in Sunday school, um, when the teacher would be telling stories of Christ or we would, or we would, I would read a Bible verse. I was the one making some jokes or, asking questions, you know, thinking about what it must have been like to actually be with Jesus and sitting around the campfire and, you know, Jesus with his friends and Jesus playing with his friends, Jesus growing up, um, what it must, how frustrating it must have been when, uh, when, when, when the disciples are, you know, maybe playing cards with Jesus and they can't win because he knows what they're, every card that they're (laughs) holding, you know, those kinds of things. I was always making those kinds of references. And so, um, I think by the time that I started doing these short films and vignettes about the life of Christ and which led to this show, um, I think God had always always been preparing me for that. I think my interest was always in taking these stories from scripture that we sometimes uh, see as kind of distant and, and emotionless and, and personalizing them with something that was always really interesting to me. And I always thought that Jesus was a lot more than just what we would be preached to about. Yeah. Um, and what I saw when I would see movies and miniseries, I was like, he seems kind of boring. Yeah. Um, he seems like he's just quoting scripture all the time. Right. Uh, and surely there was more to it than that. So I think that's how I've always been preparing for it. And then when I met Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, and I cast him in this short film that I did about six years ago about the crucifixion from the perspective of the thieves on the cross, um, he and I started exploring that as well. Like, let's find the humanity, the divinity part. That's kind of easy, actually. You know, we, we does the miracles. We know all that already. We're going to show that. We're, we're not shying away from that. But the humanity part, that's really interesting. And that hasn't been explored too often. So I think when I'm writing, um, it really is just going, if Jesus was a human being, 
yes, even though he was the perfect man, um, he still was a human. He still, you know, uh, had to make food. He still, you know, had to stretch out his sore muscles. Um, all things that I thought would be interesting to explore, particularly in episode three, which you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, he danced at a wedding. We know that what weddings were like. Um, dancing with his friends. He, he certainly had fun. He certainly laughed. He certainly told jokes. Um, what if, what if, let's explore that. Let's see what that must have been like. And I think this process of discovery for me has been what's been also, I think, enlightening for the audience. Yeah, I really have felt so much more of a connection, like I said a minute ago. And, and my kids really, too, are so drawn to that episode three of watching Jesus interact with the children. And I've always felt like that was such an important thing, but it's not talked about a ton in the scripture. So I really appreciated that you took an entire episode to show his relationship with children. And then I love in that, I think it's the very next episode where, you know, they're throwing the grapes, they're on the roof and, and then, um, you know, they explain. Yeah, it's the episode. It's a few episodes later. It's episode six. Oh, okay. Episode where, six where they say, yeah, oh, where, we know him. Yeah. You see the two of the children from episode three come back. Yeah. And uh, they, they they kind of emerge out of nowhere. And um, I knew I, I knew that the audience would love seeing them again. And uh, so Simon Peter is saying to those kids, like, all right, well, you're here. And this is Jesus because Simon Peter's kind of the, 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 the social connector for everybody yes. and so he's doing his part to tell them who jesus is and they're they're way ahead of simon they're like oh yeah no, we, we we know him um we hung out with him before that, you hung out with him yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> so I, we just thought that would be an interesting thing to explore that's so awesome and i just have really loved that my kids can sit down and watch it with me i do have a question that has been on my mind since i started the chosen so when i sat down to watch it the first time i expected it to start at the birth of jesus do so many people say that to you? Why the context with the other characters before and why so much build up? Like, why was that important to set this, set the scene, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that's probably the one thing that has been, I mean, most, most people, the majority of people love episode one and love, love the show, um, especially the ending of episode one. But uh, if there's been any glitches, it's usually in episode one where they're watching and they're 30 minutes into it and they're going, where, where's Jesus? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, like, the, in fact, Christians or believers are more confused than non-Christians because they have these expectations yes. going in. So they're like, oh, which Bible verse is this from? And oh, who's this Bible character? And I don't, they're, they're just kind of confused. Whereas non-Christians who watch it treat it like they would any other show, mm. where the first episode of any show, you get to know the world, you get to know the people, you, you, it takes, it takes time to kind of introduce you to this world that, that we're putting you in. Right. So, um, but when people talk about the ending of episode one, it is probably the number one most beloved moment in the whole series. And people say the ending, oh my goodness, it was so powerful, so emotional. Mm -hmm. I was, I felt like I was worshiping. Oh my goodness. Well, the answer is in the question. Um, That's why we took the time to set it up because the ending is that much more impactful because we got to know Mary Magdalene. We got to know Simon Peter and Andrew and Nicodemus um, so much more before they met Christ so that in those moments when they meet Christ, it's even more impactful. So Nicodemus doesn't encounter Jesus in the flesh until episode seven. And people talk about that scene, how it's with one of their favorites in the whole show and how yeah. it came to life. It's the John chapter three ver, you know, section, uh, the most famous chapter in the Bible. 
And people like, it felt new to me. It felt fresh. I, I was so emotional. I was weeping when I was watching it. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's because we took the time to introduce you to these people. And I believe that if you can see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him, you can be impacted in the same way that they were. And the way to do that is to get to know them and to identify with them. And that's what's been missing in a lot of Jesus projects is you're going from miracle to miracle through Jesus's eyes. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus comes across someone, a blind man or a leper or a woman who, who's been bleeding her for 10 years and he heals them, but there's not much emotional connection right? because you don't know them. You haven't experienced who they were before mm -hmm. the, uh, they encountered Jesus. So it's, it's cool. And you recognize it from the Bible, but it's not emotional. And to be, to be honest, um, you know, I think you, you're, you're, you're probably aware of these videos that have come from the LDS church um, where I've talked to some of the LDS people. Cause we were going to be filming season two at the set in Goshen, Utah. Okay. Um, that is the same set that was used for some of these um, LDS Bible videos. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, one of the things that I saw when I saw those videos was the set was incredible. And um, this is true in the evangelical world too, these videos where you just essentially take scripture and you just recreate it. Right. Um, and, and, and Jesus speaks in King James English and, and it's just, here's a re reenactment of what that, that passage of scripture is. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful looking, but I don't find any emotional connection to it. Right. Because it's just literally the words to the page applied to the, to the screen. And I love the Bible and the Bible shouldn't be changed. And I don't, I, uh, you know, uh, your, your Bible hasn't changed since the chosen came out. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that in the context of a show, exploring that context, exploring that human um, element and getting to know these people deeply makes those biblical moments even more impactful and emotional. And we hear from people every day who say, I'm reading my Bible more than ever now. The Bible has come alive to me more than ever yes. because of getting this context and getting to know these people in a way that I haven't before. So that's a very totally. long answer to your question. And I apologize, but it's no, I it's, love that. This is kind of the whole key. The whole key to the show is in your question, why we take the time to establish who these people are. And hopefully, and people have said that this is true, but hopefully it's interesting enough so that you're actually engaged with these people and you get to know Simon and his wife and you're invested, invested and you care about their marriage. Um, like you would if you were watching Downton Abbey and you care about the relationships there too. Right, right. And that so has been true for me. And I know so many other people too who I've had conversations with about The Chosen have said the same thing where the characters are so relatable. They're so real to so many people. And I want to ask you about Jesus's portrayal as a friend and advocate to women because that's something that really meant a lot to me. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite moments in The Chosen is when Mary Magdalene is shown as being like part of the gang. She's walking right. with Jesus and with the other apostles. And I'm like, oh, of course, of course she was hanging out. Of course she, because, you know, we see other parts of Jesus's life later on where she's a really meaningful person in his life. And oh, so sure. it's not like there were one or two events and then she suddenly shows up at the end of his life. And you know what I mean? There had to have been times in well, between where she's spending time with him and the other people that are in his life. And, and so I, I watched that and I was like, of course she would have been there walking through fields and talking and learning and listening. And the woman at the well, that also was such a super powerful scene yeah. for me. So why was that important to you? And where did you, um, 
you know, I guess, why did you bring those parts to life? Uh, great question. Well, first of all, I will say the Bible actually specifically says that Mary Magdalene was one of several women who traveled with Jesus. Um, in fact, it introduces Mary Magdalene as along with um, a, a woman named um, Joanna mm-hmm. and uh, Mary, uh, Jesus's mother. And it's mentioned that there were a few women who traveled with Jesus and the disciples and who were disciples. They weren't the 12 apostles, but they were disciples, disciples and followers yes. um, who helped support the ministry financially. Um, and when it introduces them, it says Mary Magdalene, who had been possessed by seven demons. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how she's brought into the into the discussion. So season two will introduce more women, and and uh, by by you know by season three, we will see multiple women as part of this group. Um, and the only reason we didn't do that in season one is just because it, it takes time to develop these people, and you want to give them their their fair attention. So right. Mary won't be the only woman uh, who's with the group uh, for for too long. In fact. As you saw in episode five, Thomas and Rama, uh, uh, who are who we meet at the wedding, um, he says Jesus wants us to meet him in Samaria in twelve days. So, spoiler alert: episode one of season two, you're going to see Thomas and Rama, his potential love interest, uh, join the team. So, awesome. anyway, um, yeah, my I, I'm not. I don't have an agenda with the show. I'm not trying to make some sort of unique statement about women. I'm not trying to advance some cause that at the expense of truth. The story of the of the Gospels includes a, a, a strong story of Jesus's unique relationship with women. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going to tell that story and be authentic in it, you have to include the fact that Mary Magdalene was the first one Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. Right. And she got to tell the boys about uh, about what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the first person that he announces himself publicly to, where he says, I am the Messiah, and you can tell other people, is the woman at the well. Right. Um, a woman who uh, was Jesus met in the middle of the day, um, knowing that she would be alone, um, because women always got to the well in the mornings because it was so hot. Mm-hmm. So they would come to the well in the mornings to get their water. Well, this woman was there in the middle of the day in the heat. Why? Well, because she'd been married five times, uh, was likely an outcast from from uh, the crowd, and wasn't allowed to be with, with people. And Jesus specifically was there and actually had the disciples go on without him. He, it was like a divine appointment. Um, and that's, that's very intriguing to me. Uh, he multiple times treated women differently than how they were treated at that time. So that just became a very natural part of the story and a way to do something unique. Um, which is what I want to do in this show. So we've actually been criticized by a few people for being, you know, like, like, you know, some people saying, oh, how you treat women or, or how you add women to the story is it's almost like you've got some feminist agenda. And uh, <laughs> I didn't take that like, at all that way. Yeah, well, yeah. And, I, and I'm like, if that, you know, I, I haven't never considered myself having a feminist agenda, but if this is what makes me that, then I suppose that, then I suppose I am. But um, we're just really trying to be truthful about the stories. And I think what's beautiful about the story of Jesus is not just with women, but with many people who were cast aside or who were thought of as less than, right. that's who Jesus sought after. Um, so it's not a coincidence in episode two when they are celebrating the Shabbat dinner and you've got a Shabbat being celebrated at Mary Magdalene's house where she's got a, a ragtag group of people of all stripes, one who's blind, one who's crippled, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who has a limp, one who... Uh, uh, you know, people you wouldn't expect. And then you've got the Pharisees having their Shabbat dinner and it's opulent and beautiful. And they've got all the words down and all the prayers they're supposed to do. And uh, which one does Jesus show up at? Um, right. you know, I think that's a, I think that's a biblical principle that he's, he's there where you'd least expect the people, the least of these 
is where he shows up. Yeah. So um, that just was something that uh, women weren't the only people group that in episode or in season one that we show as being unique beneficiaries of Jesus's attention. Yeah. And I love that so much too. My husband and I are deeply involved in our church's 12-step program. And we go every single week. We have for years. He facilitates a 12-step group where we sit in a circle and it's people who are struggling with addiction and trying to overcome addiction as he's a recovering addict himself. And we always talk about how these are the rooms that Jesus would show up to, you know? And so I loved that uh, specifically that woman at the well that she said something about uh, being an outcast or something. Well, yeah, she um, says, so this is, I'll, I'll, I don't mean to interrupt, but, but yeah, this, this scene was one that probably took longer the right to, than any of them, because I had to communicate a small amount of scripture um, where she goes from being suspicious of Jesus, you know, even nervous around him because mm -hmm. he's Jewish, assuming that he hates her uh, to being uh, moved emotionally by him to to then being joyous and spreading the word about him all in a very short amount of time and the line that i think you're thinking of um that i eventually wrote that seemed to get us there emotionally was when at one point she just simply says you know she at one point she's like you you picked the wrong person mm -hmm. um and he's like no no i came here just to meet you and she says i am rejected by others and he says, I know, but not by the Messiah. And that line said it all. And I think it was a communication not only to her, but to, I think, all everyone who's rejected um, by others. And so um, the fact that she was a scorned woman by herself, which, again, Jews typically wouldn't have met with a woman alone um, in, in, in that kind of context. But Jesus, certainly not in any kind of... Um, of risky or controversial way, but just met her where she was at yeah. and spoke directly to her heart. And I think that's what made that scene have the resonance that it's had for so many people. It was beautiful and truly one of my very favorites too. got to see the behind the scenes of episode four and the fishes um, getting into the boat. And my kids love that scene so much. They'll, they'll beg me like, can we watch Jesus and the, the fishermen? And they love that. And it was so fun to hear the backstory of that. Um, I'm curious if you have any other little miracles that maybe haven't been talked about in those little behind the scenes videos that you'd be willing to share with my audience. Sure. So yeah, what you're referring to is there's a video on our YouTube channel. And, and if you go to our YouTube channel, you just look up The Chosen. We're easy to find uh, The Chosen on Facebook and on YouTube. We have literally dozens, if not hundreds of videos that are behind the scenes of the whole process of making this show and the, and my personal process and how I, I mean, we even have videos of uh, from when I visited Israel with uh, Rabbi Jason, our Messianic Jewish consultant. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the audience to know my journey and to know the journey of the show so they could trust that the show was, even though it's in the hands of someone who's a flawed, sin, sinful person like myself, but that we're seeking out truth and that we're trying to get this right. right. And so uh, part of that includes just telling stories of what happened on set and how God was working even on set. So there's a, a video called The Miracle of the Miracle of the Fish, which is that that scene that you saw um, 
that turned out great. I mean, it's probably my favorite scene in the show, at least one of them. Um, the filming of it was a beast and was very difficult. And four mm-hmm. days before we filmed it, we didn't have a fish, we didn't have a boat, we didn't have a lake. And uh, how God <laughs> kind of showed up. Yeah, it's it's those are, those are all three important elephant elements when you're trying to do a scene about uh, catching fish in a lake. So, um, yeah, there's been a few other videos that, that I could probably point to where we talk about um, just the challenge of how much limited time and money we have to do a show like this and to get this right. And how many times in the middle of the day, I was like, I don't know how we're going to make this. I don't know how we're going to get all this done Mm -hmm. by the end of the day. And how every time we got to the end of ourselves and got to this place where we were, I think where I just had to continually surrender. And I'm like, I've done everything I've can. I've, I've provided my loaves and fish, um, which is all God asks of me. And then I'll let him feed the 5,000. Yeah. And uh, that's what's happened over and over again. So I can't think of too many other kind of obvious miracles that happen. I mean, it just seems like that happens so often, just these little things that allow us to get things done. But I would say that there's been multiple times where when filming a scene with Jesus, especially with Jonathan who plays Jesus, Mm -hmm. the actors, many of whom aren't believers or didn't know much about the Bible, when they are faced with scripture, when, when, when Jonathan is as Jesus is delivering words of scripture and asking them to follow him or demanding that he uh, consider truth um, or that, 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 that the character consider truth, something happens um, emotionally, you know, with these actors. There's been multiple mo- emotional scenes where the actors were shaken by what was happening. Um, and I don't, I don't think that there's anything, I don't think Jonathan is, I mean, just certainly Jonathan isn't divine and he would be the first to tell you that he's mm-hmm. not Jesus. <laughs> but I think that when you're faced with scripture, and when you're faced with a call to follow, even though it's actors and they're performing a scene, there's something visceral that happens, and it happened multiple times. I mean, at least at least seven or eight times where where there was an emotional uh, experience, a deeply profound experience that happened while we were filming, uh, multiple times. The, the, and I think that just that's just what happens when you're quoting scripture or experiencing scripture. Right. Absolutely. I can totally see how that would happen, and. Um... And it makes sense exactly what you're saying. Like when you're putting something together that's that special and that important and it's going to draw people to Jesus, of course, it's going to elicit emotions and feelings and people feeling, you know, closer to God, which is like what an incredible thing to be part of. So- well, when you see when you see Nicodemus in, in episode seven and he's Jesus is asking him to follow him. Mm-hmm. And when you see Nicodemus then later in that scene, Jesus says, what, what, what's on your heart? What does your heart tell you? And Nicodemus says, my heart is swollen with fear and wonder and can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. Uh, my, my co-writer Tyler wrote that line. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And, you know, Eric couldn't, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't like to talk much about a, a, an actor's personal experience, but um, it's very sacred. But um, what you see in that scene when he's weeping, that is, that's, a, that's real weeping. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's real. He, he, he couldn't say that line without weeping and it wasn't in the script for him to cry, but it just wasn't possible to do it without crying. It was just real. Um, and I think, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, that scene where you see Nicodemus standing there and you can tell he wants, he wants to go so bad, but he can't, oh, it's just soul crushing. It's just like yeah, we've heard a lot. I I, I didn't expect that. Um, the kind of reaction we've gotten to that scene in particular, um, because I think in the Bible we see Nicodemus 
believes in Jesus as the son of God, mm-hmm. but he meets with Jesus in, 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 in secret. Yes. The next time we see him, he kind of gives this subtle defense of Jesus in a very kind of non-committal um, way when Jesus, when the Sanhedrin are kind of discussing what to do with Jesus. And um, it, it seems clear that Jesus, that Nicodemus didn't kind of come out of the closet in his belief in Jesus and wasn't public about it. And so we thought it was plausible that, that Jesus did want him to follow him, but he just couldn't, wasn't willing to give it all up, what he would have had to give up. We thought that was very realistic. And that moment when when Eric Avari as Nicodemus is, you know, just again, back to the wall, just sitting there weeping, boy, it really crushed people. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, I think it, it I think people desperately wanted Nicodemus to to follow, mm-hmm. um, but I think they also could identify with people that they know. Yes, or moments they haven't been able to to fully give up everything. Yeah, uh, that Jesus. And up. I think that you hit the nail on the head that it's so relatable because you know people who, you know, they love Christ and you know that they want they want to follow him, but it's like the world just pulls them back. It's like a it's like the magnet of the world pulls them back into other things that just pull them away from, you know, having a relationship with the Savior. And I have watched that so many times with people I love. So I think that was what it tapped into for me, because that was a super emotional moment for me to watch. And I could see so many people I love who they want to go there, but the world just, the the magnetic pull is just too strong. So, yeah. And um, sometimes that even refers to a specific moment. I mean, maybe you are a follower of God. Mm-hmm. Um but you're not willing to give up everything in that specific moment. But you, you, and I think that's why the show has resonated with a lot of people who are believers. Um, but maybe there was something specific in an episode or something specific in, in, in the season that made them realize where they were lacking. And I think that's part of our experience as believers. Um, and I think if you have listeners who aren't believers, or uh, I think that that's something we can identify with together is um, even if you've decided you believe in Christ and you're following Christ uh, for you know in, in your life, it doesn't mean that just for the rest of your life everything just works out perfectly and, no. <laughs> and you're, you're just always making good spiritual decisions. Right. Um, I think I think I could probably think of multiple times this month that I or in the last thirty days where I have made a choice that was the choice for myself and mm. not to, not not to die to self, which is what we're supposed to be doing consistently. And uh, Nicodemus wasn't willing to die to self. And I think some people could identify with him there and going, okay, well, I do follow Christ and I have been willing to give up my job for to, to follow Christ or whatever it is, but I wasn't willing to give up my reputation in this exchange that I had on social media last month, or I wasn't willing to, um, to maybe give up my desire for dominance in an, in an argument that I had with someone. Totally. I, I, didn't, Pride, I didn't serve yeah. them. I didn't serve them. I, I, I browbeat them. Um, and for the sake of, 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 of a misguided idea of truth, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I want to be truth. So I'm going to be truthful. So I'm going to tell the truth, um, even at the cost of relationship. And, and, uh, sometimes we don't always, uh, give up, um, what God wants us to give up in, in the moments. And I think a show like this can remind us of that even Jesus's followers uh, experience the same things. So true. And that, and you're exactly right too with, um, I just was thinking of at least my own personal battle with pride and with wanting to be right or wanting to feel justified. And oftentimes, just like you're saying, you're exchanging that for your personal relationships. And I know when I take a step back, I know that that's not the right thing and that what Jesus would do is always put the relationship first. Oh, not at the expense of truth and righteousness, but 
like finding that perfect balance of standing ground of what's right, but also putting people and relationships and love first. Well, Jesus, I mean, obviously we never, we never lie and we never want to deny the truth, but there are times when the truth, and Jesus even talks about this, don't cast pearls before swine, mm-hmm. um, you know, don't argue with a fool. Um, I mean, there, there are moments when you're people, I think this is especially true on social media. I mean, you do a podcast, you have a social media presence. I'm sure you've had your fans or people who are listening to you uh, argue about something or debate about something. And how many times do we, do, do we ignore the spirit's prompting to sometimes say, not now, or, you yeah. know, you don't, you don't have a relationship here, you know? And then we, and we think to ourselves, yeah, but we're supposed to be truth tellers. And so I'm not going to be afraid of anything. And, um, it, you know, it, it's just a, I think there's a constant reminder from Jesus um, in the gospels and in the chosen to put aside um, not only the things that can take us away from God that are obvious, like lust or, you know, vices or addictions, um, it's obvious to, to, to you know, in, in, in the, the example that you gave of you and your husband, where you guys are in, uh, work with people in a 12-step program, um, those people have, have kind of surrendered their pride and are just like, I'm going to be in a community and say, I am struggling. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes they're more, they're closer to the, to the face of Christ than the people who seem to have it all together. I agree with because that. Because they're not willing to, <laughs> to pick up on where those, where those weaknesses or vices uh, are lie mm-hmm. that maybe aren't quite so obvious. Yeah. And I think that's what is happening in episode seven when Simon Peter is so mad or frustrated at Jesus for calling Matthew a tax collector, which who was totally hated by the Jews for, for being a tax collector. In fact, Jesus spoke out against tax collectors, uh, you know, included them as, as sinners. And yet he specifically called Matthew to follow them. And Simon's like, what, do you know what this guy has done? Do you know who this guy is? And mm-hmm. Jesus looks at Matthew and says, yes. And then looks at Simon and says, get used to different. And uh, that's, I think we as believers need to do that every day. I love that so much and so agree with that. Um, and, you know, it's I just keep thinking, too, about how this has been so personal for my husband and me. And when we started... What is it that, what, what is it that stands out that, I mean, I'm always curious to know, because it seems to be different for everybody. But when you you've said that a few times, it's so personal for me. It is. What is it that what are you was it what is it that you think has made it most personal for you and your husband? Sure. So I well, there's two things. So when you talked about um, just barely what we were talking about with not being willing to give something up, I still remember when at the beginning of my husband's not not the beginning, maybe like in the middle of when my husband really was trying to work through recovery from his addiction. And we sat down with our bishop, who was our ecclesiastical leader. And he was he was just the type of person that would call you out just enough, but in a loving way. And these were these are the words of my husband. And he's talked about this openly many, many times. But he looked at my husband, Neil, and said, there's something about this that you're not ready to give up. And I was just full of rage. I was like, what? You don't want to give this up? Because we were going to meetings every week. We had paid, you know, thousands of dollars in therapy and outpatient recovery and this, that, and the other. And now looking back, Neil will say he was right. He was right that I just wasn't quite willing to give that up. And it wasn't until he really hit his rock bottom and said, okay, I'm ready to do the steps. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to. So some of that has been me watching and and just remembering that transformation of being like, I'm giving everything up. I'm, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. And and to your point also a minute ago about people who are believers, he's always been a believer too from, you know, the time he can remember. He was 
brought up as a Christian, brought up in our faith, but it was like that moment of total surrender that completely well, changed yeah. his path. Well, and I think surrender immediately is preceded by brokenness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think brokenness is what leads to surrender. And that's the story of those of us who are creating the chosen. So for example, my, my wife wrote a book um, uh, a few years ago that was uh, did very well, but it was called Confessions of a Raging Perfectionist. It was about her oh. struggle to, to, to be free from pride, especially as a woman mm-hmm. during this time when, I mean, gosh, you've got a, you know, a lifestyle podcast um, and there's Facebook and Instagram and all this stuff. Women feel pressure to look good, to, to, to uh, perform constantly. And, um, and that was my wife. And she had to rid herself of that. And she wrote a book about it. Well, one of the things that she includes in the book is she mentions that I had a, that I was caught in a struggle in, with pornography um, um, probably about 10, 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, something like that. And um, it wasn't until I was truly broken where I was like, look, I, I, I give up everything of myself. Like, I don't want to do this ever again. And mm-hmm. then I even had a relapse a few years later. And when I had that relapse, it was like, okay, I need to get at the root cause of this. This, this. this can't just be about putting protections on my computer and having accountability. I need to find out what's what's truly causing this particular vice to rear its ugly head. And I, I, I believed it was narcissism. Um, that I was, I think that my desire for approval, my desire for uh, feedback, I mean, it was kind of leading me and I, to, um, to, to the, the, I don't know, the, the fulfillment of self, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, self-fulfillment and that's a lot of times where for men especially where pornography feeds feeds it's it's the 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 fulfillment of yourself yeah and when I really went after that for like a year I mean I was reading books on narcissism and all that I mean it really it changed me I became a different person and my co-writer Ryan who's the head writer for The Chosen um just told this story to me just the other day I mean but he's been sober for he had his 10-year anniversary of sobriety just a few days ago and um, same thing with him, total brokenness. I mean, he got to the place where he was on his face before God and just like, I give up everything. I totally surrender. And that comes after that true brokenness. And it sounds like what you're saying is your husband hadn't gotten to that place right. of true brokenness where you are just, your gut can't even, I mean, you're just pouring out the all the shame, but also the beauty and the joy of what happens when you're truly broken. And so I know this is a bit off topic, but no, but it's on topic more than, you know, <laughs> what, yeah, but that's what the chosen I think has done for many people. They talk about, I hear this every day, um, that when I watched it, I don't know what it was, but I couldn't stop crying. Or mm. I felt at the end of episode one, when Jesus puts his hand on Mary's hand and the first words out of Jesus's mouth in the whole show are, that's not for you. Mm. And what does she do? She immediately pulls away and, and, and is trying to get away from him. And is like, leave me alone. And, and, and the demons in her life are stirred up because Jesus is there. And she's running away. And what does he do? He keeps pursuing. And then he calls her out for who she really is. He calls her back to who he created her to be. And that's the story of episode one. It's the story of the gospels. Jesus makes us what we're not and makes us who we're supposed to be. And that's the story, I think, of what's happening with season one with the viewers is for whatever reason, God is using the show to pierce through their heart and there's this guttural response that continues to happen um, that I'm not responsible for. I'm not. I'm not that good. I'm not good enough to to make a show that keeps wrecking people all over the world. <laughs> but God is clearly doing something through the show to just break them. Yes. And, and and sometimes it's in small ways. Sometimes it's maybe for a sin of pride or narcissism. 
that doesn't look like as as ugly as my sin did um and may not look as obvious as your husband's but it's it was the exact too. same thing actually so um yeah. just when you're saying a little off topic it's it is on topic that's you know neil's been very open that he has recovered is still in recovery every day from a pornography addiction and he um will pick up a four-year chip in a few weeks so um okay. yeah i don't have a chip i don't have a chip but i because i we didn't have that but uh but yeah it's been quite a while for me as well awesome. but it's it's you have to replace that it's not enough to just keep saying no to something right you have to replace it with something right. and, repl- and, and, and and typically the more you empty yourself the more you can be filled by the best replacement which is the spirit and uh, that's what then starts your desires start to change and uh and you become a different person and i'm a different person now than i was three years ago um not just the, the pornography thing was earlier than that but three years ago i was rid of my uh, you know i think i had an addiction to, to a different kind of approval and a, a desire for my career to be a certain way and that was all taken away from me and that's what led me to to i think be finally ready to do the chosen it really is incredible to see the lord like preparing people for certain things. And, um, and I'll share one other just tiny little experience too, that happened because of the chosen. So we do this fashion blog, we have all these clothes and I don't typically talk about this because of the, you know, the Bible verse that talks about like, don't let the, I am not a a great scriptorian, so I'm not sure if it's the left hand knowing the right or the right knowing the left, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, and we have done this thing called the closet sale for years where we'll get through, you know, a season of clothing and then we sell it online and that kind of funds the next round of clothing that I need to buy for content. And we were getting ready to do another big closet sale and it was right after I'd watched season one of The Chosen. And I just looked at my husband and I said, I think we just need to donate all of these clothes. I don't think we even need to try uh-huh. to sell this stuff. And we're talking about a lot of money in this inventory that we typically, that's just been our process to move it through and sell it and rebuy new stuff and trying to be business savvy and whatever. And I just looked at him and I said, I think if Jesus was hanging out with us today, he would say, go give this to people who need it more. You don't, you can run your business without selling these clothes. And he said, okay, let's do it. And, and we talked about how picture me picturing Jesus being with us all the time and being our friend and having that real life influence is making us think of things. That's just one example, but so many yeah. real life scenarios in a different way. So that's just yeah, that's been a awesome. gift for us. So the reason that what you just said is awesome is because it's similar for us as we decided to give the chosen away for free. I mean, all eight episodes completely free, every country in the world streaming costs money. And so when we, when we decided to do that, when COVID hit, we thought we were just going to do it for a few weeks, just as kind of a nice gesture. Yeah. And then it ended up our income literally quadrupled and quintupled the moment that we made it free. The more we've made the chosen free, the more easily accessible we've made it, the more income has come in for the project and allowed wow. us to be able to do episodes and seasons even earlier. And so that's what I call God's impossible math. And I think what you said is true. Working on the show just keeps putting Jesus at the forefront of our minds. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you're always supposed to just give everything for free. Obviously, we we need to we need to provide for our families, but um, but there are many times when God just does something impossible or does something different, and, and it's, a, it's a great lesson to learn. Yeah. How can people be involved if they want to—I know you guys talk about paying it forward and helping the, the cause, and how do you want people to be involved? 
Well, the first step is watching the show. I know there's, I'm sure there's people listening right now who, someone who hasn't watched the show yet. Uh, maybe they've been intimidated by the fact that it's on its own app and it's not easy to access on Netflix or a network television show. But if you want to you watch the show, I promise you can be watching in two minutes and it's totally free and it's actually quite easy. You just go to wherever you get apps. So you're you know, on your phone, Google, Google Play or App Store, look up the shows and we're easy to find. You download it, it's very fast and it connects directly to your streaming device with no subscription, no payment, no delays, no nothing. So if you've got Apple TV, Roku, Fire Stick, Chromecast, HDMI cord, VidAngel invented technology that allows you to literally connect your, the app to your streaming device and you can be watching it within minutes and uh, great full quality and all that. If that still intimidates you, you can get the DVD that's in our gift store, but uh, and that also helps us uh, do future seasons. But the way to allow us to keep doing future episodes and seasons and to allow people to be able to watch it for free is paying it forward. And so if you feel led, and if you're not, if not, that's great. And if you can't afford it because you're, in, you're, you're you know, experiencing a job loss uh, from COVID or whatever it is, then just enjoy the free show. But paying it forward um, in the app or at our website allows people to be able to continue to watch it for free and allows us to be able to do future episodes and seasons. And uh, that's all we ask. We don't, we don't, you don't have to even sign up for anything to watch the episodes. But if you love the episodes and if you want to get involved and if you want to help us out and be part of this community, that's how you do it. Amazing. Okay. I have one last question for you. This is a question I ask everyone at the end of their interview. If there's one message that you want people to remember from this interview, what do you want that one message to be? It's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. Um, That truth changed my life a few years ago. It's what ultimately led to The Chosen. Um, But when you realize that your job is just to be the best baker and the best fisherman that you can be, so that when you do provide your five loaves and two fish to God, and he deems them worthy of acceptance, that if he chooses to multiply it, that it's good and healthy. Um, But your transaction ends when you provide the loaves and fish. That doesn't mean that you're still not responsible to provide the loaves and fish. When Jesus multiplied it, he still needed someone to go find some food. He asked them to do that. Um, He still wanted their contribution. Um, and still our job to make it as good and healthy as we can be. But the results, the success or failure of it, um, that's not your job to worry about. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Dallas, for your time today, for all of your hard work with The Chosen. It's changed my life. I know it will change so many more lives in the future, too. And uh, we'll link to where people can find the show and how to pay it forward and everything in the show notes today. So. Well, I appreciate the time. I loved uh, chatting with you and hope we can do it again sometime. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. 